Hi everyone, I'm Anne Helen Peterson and this is Work Appropriate. Sometimes there is just no amount of therapy that is going to fix your relationship with your job. You might be deeply demoralized and there is just no coming back from that. Or your organization just might be toxic and you can't fix that. Today, my co-host and expert advice giver is Jane Koston, host of the New York Times opinion podcast, The Argument, who also happens to have quit a lot of jobs and figured out how to stay at a lot of others. I've long admired Jane's ability to get to the very heart of an issue and mediate complicated conversations about it, whether she's talking about politics or celebrity or Michigan football. And I wanted to have her on the podcast today to make some truly tough calls. Today, we'll hear from people who are figuring out if they can or should try and make it work, or if they should just cut bait altogether, because sometimes you really just need to break up with a job in order to figure out how to thrive in another. So do you have a good quitting story? I know that you've quit a couple jobs, but do you have a story... It could be something where you left amicably. It could be something where you did not leave amicably, like whatever. So there were like two jobs. There was one where I quit because my boss was like, I'm too old to be making this reference, but um, you know, like Dolores Umbridge and Harry Potter yeah, yeah. and how she just like slowly drove everyone insane. Yeah. She was like that. And I was just like, well, I could just hate every day of the rest of my life or I could find a new job. Uh, my dad had the same job for 25 years. He was a librarian at the Public Library of Cincinnati in Hamilton County. And I think when I was a kid, I just thought that, like, you you know, and you graduated from college, you got a job, and then you just did that until you died. And it did not take long living in D.C. before I was like, oh, that's just not what it is here. Yeah. And so, you know, I quit that job. And then, like, there was another job in which I was like, I could tell they do not want me here. I don't want to be here. And I remember like they brought me into this room to have the kind of like, here's how things are going conversation. And I just stopped them and I was like, we both know this isn't working. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever like broken up with a job like that. Just being like, I'm going to leave. You know, here's my notice. I'm going to go. Can we just wrap this up? And I think they were kind of surprised, but I was just like, this is not worth it. Yeah. Like the fact that I had at that job, the person I worked for, I grew to hate her to a degree where I was like, this isn't good for me. Right. Like, this is turning into like Count of Monte Cristo-esque. Right, right, right. Like, this is destroying yeah, like, me at a soul doing level. Doing this is be- making me a worse person. Yes, yeah. yes. When I still, th- when I think about her, I'm still like, oh, I hope she's suffering. That's not good. <laughs> this was like, it got to the point where I was like, at the end of my day, I would just be like, maybe she's going to get hit by a car. No, no, that's bad. Yep. That's, that, that's, no, that's very bad. That's saying that you should quit your job. I, so yes. I also come from a family where the jobs that my parents started in you know, basically their professional jobs. So my mom, after having kids, and then my dad, like his first job out of medical school, they kept them their entire lives. And yeah. so there's this real tension, I think, and a lot of people feel this, and maybe pressure, but also just an understanding of how jobs work, that like, even though industries have changed dramatically, and we understand that like, no, we're no longer in the jobs where you get retirement watches, but that there's still something kind of weird about quitting jobs, right? Like it indicates like, oh, maybe I'm a bad fit for like everything. 
Oh, yeah. I think the biggest, one of the major lessons I've learned as an adult is that sometimes you are the problem, yeah. but sometimes you are not the problem. Yes. <laughs> and it's amazing to me, now that I have a job that I really like and that I'm pretty good at, that, oh, like, it's not me. Those other jobs were not what I was supposed to be doing. Right. And I don't think that there, I think that sometimes we get into this, like, oh, once you find your calling, you'll never work a day in your life. But I'm like, no, no, like, even the people I know who are like, I have a good friend who is like a NICU pediatrician, which one is like the hardest thing I can possibly imagine. But that is what she is called to do. And all the time she's just like, "Uh, sometimes I just want to leave the hospital and never come back. And I'm like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. You don't need to stay in a job. Like, it's not like, you know, a 1940s marriage where you have to stay in it for the kids. Like, nobody, nobody, yeah. like, this isn't your family. There's no this moral isn't, balance, right? No. There's no moral balance to quitting. And I think that's no. something that we have. Especially because lost. then you see, if you leave a job, um, I've worked enough places where they kind of have this weird, like, oh, if you leave or quit or they fire you, they consider you an alumni yeah. of that job. Yeah, yeah. And then they put you on a newsletter, which is the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. But like, you see the people who come in and are like, this is the best job I've ever had. I've been here for 12 years. I never want to do anything else. And I'm like, see? This was great for you. Yeah, totally. It's like if you break up with someone and then they get married, you're like, great! Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were talking in a previous episode about like how it's better sometimes to identify when the relationship is broken early, right? Even though it might seem awkward. But if three months in, you know that it's not working, you're like, hey, this isn't working for either one of us. Like, it's actually easier to extricate myself now than later. I will just say that my my big quitting experience was when I first graduated from college uh, and couldn't find a job in film and media studies. Big surprise there. Um, but I worked at a childcare center and I was in the infant room with kids from six months uh, up till two years old. But I was only getting paid, I don't know, like $9 an hour. And it just was not mm-hmm. enough to live in Seattle at that time, even living with three roommates. And my friend found me a nanny job. And I didn't know how to quit, though, in part because this is something that like you're never taught. And so I lied and said I was moving back home to Idaho in order to quit, right? Like I didn't have any way to say, like, this is not enough money for me to live on here. And this is why I'm quitting. And I think that the head of that center knew that turnover was just like part of the business and that's just it. But like, I didn't have any structure of how to quit gracefully, I guess is what I would say. Right. Right. I think that there's, especially when it's something like that, where you were working, like there are children, like actual children involved. And I'm like, Ooh, this is why like, I'm always very impressed when I know teachers who are like, I need to quit this job, but there is always the like, yes, because like I can think you, you you are aware that like you are actually dealing with children. Yep. Also, because children's perspective of what teachers do seems to be that like you'll just be here forever. Right. This is all you do. Right. And you also feel like I'm doing something altruistic. And if I quit, I am no longer an altruistic person when no, like there's a lot more involved here. And we're going to get into all of this. So I think our first mm-hmm. question is going to set the stage for our whole discussion This question is from Robert, and our friend Saul, who produces X-Ray Vision and Pod Save the World, is going to read it for us. How do I know when it's time to change jobs? This is coming from someone who has a comfortable and well-paying, if slightly boring, office job, but is still feeling burnt out for, I think, unsurprising and common reasons, all things considered a very good situation to be in. I have been interviewing a bit, but I'm worried it's a grass-is-always-greener deal. 
What should I be thinking about when considering these other positions, besides the obvious of compensation and how comfortable I'd be working at the company? So I will just start by saying that I think sometimes the problem (laughs) isn't a particular job, it's just jobs, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have seen this with people who have changed jobs and thought that it was going to fix their entire lives, right? If I can just quit this job and I can just start this new job, everything in my life is going to fall into place and then find themselves very surprised when that is not Mm -hmm. the case, when really it's their relationship to work specifically, right? Right, Um, yeah. And I think that um, there is a lot to be said about the fact that like attempting to find personal fulfillment through work for the vast majority of people um, is going to be very difficult. Yeah. Like for most people, you are working for the same reason my dad worked. When my dad would come home from work every day, I would ask him how his day was, and he would say, work like. <laughs> and every single day. And so it drove dad. me insane. Oh my God. It lot like this went on for like, I think I asked him once a day, every day, because I was like, that's what you do when you're a polite person. From the time I was five until I gave up at like fifteen. And it was always work like. And then I realized eventually that my dad liked his job enough. But what his job allowed him to do was to pay for the stuff he actually wanted to do. Mm, yeah. He wanted to raise his kids, have his house, play his guitars, look at Hawks, watch World War II documentaries, and ride his bike. And so I think that like, what I would say is if you are going into work every day dreading it, or if there's like an, a person at your work where you're just like, and again, imagining them getting hit by motor vehicles, like, yeah, maybe it's time to look around. But sometimes I think that, like, a comfortable and well-paying, if slightly boring office job seems like the kind of thing that invites not necessarily changing jobs, because you could do this forever and always kind of be looking for, like, the one true job. Right. You should, I would also advise, like, getting a hobby or taking up something. Like, I know, and you run, and I do, like, weightlifting and stuff. Yeah. And it is really nice where it's like, yeah, like my day might be boring, but I know I've got this workout or I'm thinking about this other thing. Or you're like taking a class. We've been trying to get into a pottery class, but it turns out that like due to COVID, everyone everyone to wants to take a pottery class, class right now. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I, I well, we we are continually on the on the hunt for like something to do together, um, or like getting into bike riding or hiking or something like that because the point of your job I think in some ways is like ideally a job should be something that you like to do that can gradually help create something good like my dad's job at the library in many times he recognized that especially in one of the libraries where he worked in Cincinnati he was for some kids, they would call him Mr. Byron, and he re- he would come home and talk to my mom about how he realized that he was the only adult black male that they saw every day who yeah. wore, like, a tie. Yeah, yeah. And so all these little kids would, like, come to our house and stand outside and wait for him and just want to say hello to him. And, like, that is something that, I, you know, I can host a podcast for a thousand years, and I will never do anything that is as important as what he was doing just working at the library. But for a lot of people, your job is not your job. Your job is the thing that enables you to do the most important parts of your life. Right. I think a lot of people are coming into that realization, but it is in some ways blasphemy against the ideology that I think has become increasingly popular 
and used in a lot of ways to encourage people not to push back against exploitation, which is that, like, Mm -hmm. your job should be your identity, your job is your life, Mm -hmm. like, your job should be your passion, and there should be no space for anything other than that, other than maybe family, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when... Charlie and I were writing our book about, like, the future of remote work. Like, one of the things we really focused on was the fact that, like, when you work from home or whatever your job is, if you have a more flexible schedule, you are able to make space for those other parts of your life, whether it's family or community building or hobbies, in a way that the very strict nine-to-five job made it more difficult for. Or the, the salary job that slipped into every single part of your life. And I think some people really resisted that. They're like, how dare you talk about hobbies when people like can't find steady employment? Which, yeah, when yeah. I was unemployed um, at the point, you know, when I was living in St. Louis and I was waking up every day at five o'clock in the afternoon because that's when the people I was living with would get home from work. And that's when I was like, OK, I have to pretend as if I was awake because like it was like my body was like just shut down for a while. Mm -hmm. You don't really need to do anything. And like, yeah, I didn't have any hobbies. I didn't have anything else to do because that was just thinking about how you pay for things Mm -hmm. or thinking about how you can't pay for things. Like there really was something weirdly freeing about when I would get calls from like credit card companies or student loan companies saying I was behind in payments and just being like, well, life's tough, isn't it? There's really (laughs) nothing I can do about that. Um, like Like as if that I had secret money that I just wasn't giving to them. I'm like, no. No, I haven't forgotten to pay you. I um, I cannot pay you. And so I think that, like, if you can have hobbies, you should have hobbies. Because I do understand that, like, I think that that sometimes bothers me about how our work discourse and our political discourse, which are inherently connected, often are interwoven. Yep. Because I think that there's this idea that, like, one, people, uh, low-income folks, don't have hobbies or interests because they're too busy to do so. And I'm like, no, it's because, like, they do have hobbies and interests. And often it's just that, like, they are trying to have those hobbies and interests within their work time. Yeah. Um, For instance, I know a bunch of folks who, if you work, like, those Amazon jobs, or even if you've ever had, like, I washed dishes in college. Yeah. And the amount of nonsensical discussions we got into, like, about nothing or about, like, the hobbies we – you would kind of participate in your hobby while working. Right. But also I think that there's this idea – it's that, like, tanky Twitter thing of, like, oh, under full communism I could finally go to art school. I'm like, no! (laughs) (laughs) That's famously – that's, you know, Stalinist Russia was not known for allowing you to pursue your dreams. But I do think that, like – being able to pursue a hobby should not be a privilege in the first place. Uh, How many people who have worked really difficult jobs still were like, after work, I'm going to go to my workshop and do something. My dad builds builds model airplanes out of balsa wood. Like, there's always something like that. You should be able to have access to that. Well, it's the tension between work to live and live to work, right? And I think that, like, growing up, my town was a mill town, and people who worked at that mill had knew what shift they were going to work, right? And they knew how many days they were going to work, and it was steady work. And then they used the rest of their time to go hunt, right? Or to go fish, or to go camp, or be out in the wilderness, which is a a pretty um, low-cost thing that you can do when you have a steady schedule. So it's less about, I think, how much money you have, and more about... Do you have the funds to just back up like that, that your hobby in some way? And in bringing this back to our original discussion, I think our advice isn't like 
<laughs> oh, stop thinking about if the grass is always greener yeah. and get a hobby. It's more like how do you make other things in your life fulfilling so that you're not constantly thinking of your job as the thing that you need to be optimizing or making perfect in some way because your your job will just be like funding. I mean, it's called work for a reason. Right. <laughs> if it weren't work, it would be something else. But like Living to work and working, like, you you got to work to live at a certain point. Like, it's great when you like what you do. Like, you know, I think I have friends who, especially in sports writing, who are like, yes, my job is difficult and often in many places very underpaid, but holy shit, my job is I have to go watch college football. Right. And I'm like, like, there, there's a degree to which it's like, if you're 11 years old, you're like, well, that's it. That's everything I've ever wanted. But like... That job also needs to be something where you leave and then you go do have your real life. Yeah, Jane, will you give like a capsule of advice here for, for Robert? What you're looking for is satisfaction and you're not likely to be able to find that through jobs. Comfortable and boring can be okay for a while. And when it stops being okay, you can leave your job. But get up you know find a hobby take up crossfit get into running maybe try kayaking (laughs) yes (laughs) work appropriate is brought to you by zocdoc before you book any brunch you pour over lists and lists of reviews so why not do the same when you're booking a doctor's appointment with zocdoc you can see real verified patient reviews to help you find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun. Whether you're trying to straighten your teeth, fix an achy back, get that mole checked out, anything else, ZocDoc has you covered. Recently, I got on a new insurance plan, and I was trying to find a dentist who was actually covered under my plan because my previous one was not. And ZocDoc would have been the perfect tool to find that instead of wading through tons and tons and tons of doctors and talking to them on the phone and seeing if they take my insurance. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting delivery to your house. Search, find, and book doctors with a few taps. You can read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. Now, when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, find the doctor that is right for you, and book an appointment, in person or remotely, that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com work and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash work. ZocDoc dot com slash work. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Shopify. What's that? It's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether your thing is vintage teas or recipes for ghee, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of your favorite businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store in your style, discover new customers, and grow the following that keeps them coming back. 
Shopify has all the sales channels sorted, so your business keeps growing, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free libraries full of educational content, Shopify's got you every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world are making their first sale with Shopify, and you will too. It's never been easier to start and grow a business thanks to Shopify. Shopify makes selling simple so you can put yourself and your ideas out there. Whether your thing is making ebooks or earrings, Shopify makes your success possible. When you're ready to launch your thing into the spotlight, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform backing millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Go on, try Shopify for free, and start selling anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash workappropriate, all lowercase, no space. Go to shopify.com slash workappropriate to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash workappropriate. Our next question is from Elsa, whose job changed dramatically after she had a baby. I've recently returned to work after a one-year maternity leave. I returned to work right in the middle of the great resignation, and many of my coworkers, including my manager, left the organization right around the time I returned to work. Since I've been back, I've been shuffled around to a new department and a new manager. And though my position hasn't changed, the scope of my job has become much smaller to the point where I often have nothing to do for weeks on end. I log in every day and complete what limited work is given to me. I've told my manager about my workload and have been given some projects to work on outside my role to help fill my time. I'm continually told that I'm an asset to the company and that my performance is good, but I'm literally doing nothing. I keep being told that more work is coming, but it never seems to transpire. Is my employer trying to push me out? Are they deliberately giving me less work because I'm a a mom now? Should I quit or should I keep collecting my paycheck for doing essentially nothing? Prior to going on leave, I liked my job and the company. As a new mom, I don't really want to switch jobs. It seems too risky to make a change right now, but I'm so bored. All right, Jane, is this relationship over? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I think that that one of the things that is really hard um, for working parents, specifically working moms, is that how people adjust to folks who are on maternity leave is often to fill in everything that they do. And then when people return, there is this idea that like, oh, we're actually making this easier for you by having taken over everything that you do. And there are so many companies where from their perspective, they've scrambled to replace this person um, in a way that makes it as if, you know, having a child is like, oh, I decided to go on like a jaunt to Italy to find myself. But <laughs> like they treat it like a vacation or yeah. like short term disability, which is what people often right. have to file in order to, to get right. leave. Yes. And I know so many people where that is in part why they took shorter leave. I'm actually incredibly impressed by this person that they took a full year. Anne-Marie Slaughter wrote in her book about um, women, a woman who came back two weeks after giving birth, in part because she was like, 
if I if I don't show the company that I am integral, they will replace me. Right. But I think about this where I'm like, she would be able to have good recommendations. She would be able to have the time, you know, you can take the time in between jobs to kind of like adjust to a new work environment, especially because working as a parent is going to inherently be different than working as not a parent. I am not a parent and my work life is different than it would be if I were a parent. Yeah. So I think it might actually be good. Like this, this sounds like, yes, collecting a paycheck for not doing anything sounds nice, but I've done it and it is actually the worst. Yeah, it's really, um, it feels, I know it feels really risky to switch right now. And, you know, maybe that's a reason to give it a little bit of time. But I also think that to some degree, it can be an opportunity to find a new job, especially with good recommendations that better fits where you are in your life now, and especially because the company you're at seems to just be kind of patting you on the head and saying, they're there, little lady. Yeah, so what you're describing is, I think, um, really endemic with lots of American companies in particular, in that they don't backfill for maternity or paternity replacements. And instead, they pile the work on other people, which oftentimes leads to burnout for those other people. That's another conversation. But that, that refusal to backfill does make it so that your job is somewhat redundant, but then they can't fire you when you return, right? Because it is discrimination and it's, um, you could you could file a lawsuit about it. But what happens when there's no job there? And I'm glad that you emphasize that, like, it actually is really boring to do a job where there's nothing to do. You know, I've worked, <laughs> I worked at a bagel shop one summer that was failing and there just weren't enough customers. And <sighs> Oh my gosh! I there were like a couple of sorry. Days. There's something about the idea of working at a, a slowly failing bagel shop <laughs> where I'm like, oh, this sounds like a death of a salesman situation. Yes. Or I also worked at a dude ranch that was failing, and the t- few times when it was busy, you were like, this could be my life all the time, right? I could have things to do. That sort of stimulation of like continually doing things, and yes, it's exhausting in another way, but it's also mentally stimulating. And so what I would do if I were this woman would be to stay at your job and keep collecting this paycheck and, you know, having the benefits that are that are associated with it while you apply for another job. And especially since you have all of this time on your hands because you're not doing anything, that's a lot of time to apply for other jobs. Agreed. Next up, we've got a question from Corbin, a recent grad who feels like maybe he's gotten in the wrong field. I always love hearing from people who are recent grads. So here we go. I graduated from college in June of 2020 with a bachelor's degree in sociology. Job opportunities were understandably pretty slim, so I ended up finding a job outside of my field working in finance. Overall, it was a pretty decent starter job, but it had one major downside in that they wanted me to spend my time off getting multiple certifications in the finance field. I couldn't really justify spending my time off that way because I knew that I didn't intend to stay in that field for a longer term career. Recently, I got out of that job and I found a job within my field and I was really excited to work somewhere with better work-life balance. Within my first week, there were multiple meetings about issues with retention and burnout across the department and the agency at whole, which obviously led me to second-guess my decision. Since then, it's only gotten worse, and now I get regular emails asking me to work overtime, work strange hours, and do things that I'm not qualified or trained to do. At this point, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to leave. 
I'm actively interviewing at a few companies that do similar work to what I used to do, but without some of the certifications that ended up leaving me frustrated at my old job. The idea of a new job is exciting and I'm happy about it, but I also can't help feeling like I don't have a long-term goal anymore and I don't know what I'm building towards. I feel like if I stay in my current position or even the field, then I'll end up being taken advantage of and underpaid. What advice do you have for someone early on in their career figuring out that their field isn't what they expected? So, Jane, my first question before we talk about whether or not this person should jump ship is, what do you think their job is if it's in sociology? I would guess if they went from finance to something else, I wonder if it's some sort of like statistical analysis. Yeah, that's maybe statistical analysis, but then like rampant burnout, weird hours, retention problems. Like all I can think of is social work, which is not really sociology. Anyway. We are baffled by this job, but it also feels like if you, even if you didn't tell me the field, if you just described like systemic problems with retention and burnout, um, working overtime, working strange hours, doing things that I'm not qualified or trained to do, Mm -hmm. all of those massive red flags. So do you think this relationship is over? I think so. Yeah. It just sounds, especially because it sounds chaotic. Um, I've had jobs where like I wasn't. I did not want to be there and I wasn't the pr- I was not a good fit, but I've also worked at places where like things felt like they were falling apart and I w- that that's the worst. Yeah. Um and that sounds like especially because if if you're having lots of me- it's like that, you know, your t-shirt of meetings about issues with retention and burnout is sending a lot of messages about your issues with retention and burnout. <laughs> um like I think that it is time it's time to go. Like Yeah. Yeah, especially because if you're early in your career, you graduated in 2020. Yes. Um, yes. You have an opportunity to find different things. Like I have a history and political science degree. I was just going to um, ask this. Yeah. Uh, I wrote my undergraduate thesis on Nazi propaganda before and after the Battle of Stalingrad. You have no idea how long it took for that to actually come up. I did not want it to come up in my daily life. And then the 2016 election did, and it turned out um, it sort of did. Yeah. But like, there's lots of stuff where, you know, I am... My degree prepared me to be, a, I'm a really good writer, I can make arguments, I can have a lot of discussions about a lot of different things, I'm very knowledgeable across a bunch of different fields, and and I think that that's been really helpful, but you all, I also knew that, like, if I just wandered everything, wandered in every situation being like, hello, did anyone call for someone with a history degree? I was never really going to get anywhere. No, of course not. And so, I think that, like, if you are early on in your career, and your field is life, you can do so many different things with a degree in so many different subjects. Like, it's like when people get are like, why would you get a degree in philosophy? And I'm like, because you now have one, the ability to make lots of trolley problem jokes. And two, you can write and argue and use information and synthesize it in a really interesting way. And that's useful in a whole bunch of things. So like recognize that your field is Whatever you want it to be. Right. Well, in sociology, okay, so backtracking a little bit, Mm -hmm. I used to teach at a liberal arts school. I went to a liberal arts school. There are a lot of jokes about liberal arts degrees and their uselessness. One thing that people used to say about sociology, that it was like the study of the painfully obvious, right? Mm -hmm. I could not disagree more, especially now that I have actually come to understand 
what sociology is as a field. Like it is the study of how we think about things as society, right? Like there are so many skills that come along with that. And then if you're on the other side of sociology where you are doing the stats and analysis and all that sort of thing, there's so many skills that come along with that as well. So I don't think this guy needs to go to finance, which obviously was not a good fit either, but instead cast his net wider in thinking about how can I find it a career path. And there are so many careers, as you mentioned earlier, that we don't even know about. And one of the ways you find out about careers is just by reaching out to people and being like, can you tell me what your job is? Like, what do you do? And thinking about all the different ways that he could find something that aligns more with what he's actually interested in. The choices are not something I don't care about and that I don't want to be trained in or something that is a burnout factory. Like There are a lot more different options than that. Yeah. There is no reason to be locked into a burnout factory if you don't have to be. So our last question takes us from boredom and burnout into a case of straight up bullying. Let's hear. Ah, Sorry. (laughs) Let's hear from Kim. I work in higher education, student affairs, and I'm looking for advice that isn't just get a new job, though the amount of times I've gotten that advice means it's probably worth exploring. And I am exploring it. It's just, you know, easier said than done. So while I'm still here, my question is what to do about an ineffective supervisor who you believe is incapable of change. My colleagues and I are mistreated by our supervisor in a wide variety of ways, and we've given her direct feedback about almost all of them. We've brought HR in on some of the issues, but usually those are the more clerical ones where we need to include HR because she's given us misinformation about policies, compensation, etc. So recently I went to HR to report more broadly about our experiences and to share how dire the situation has become. Their solution was basically to help me strategize a way to bring all the information I have to my supervisor's own boss in order to make sure he knows what we've been through and continue to experience under her leadership. I've asked what would actually come of this, and they tell me that he can communicate with her about the issues and offer feedback. And they've made all the necessary promises about protecting us from retaliation, which is a real concern of ours. But the problem is the feedback has been given. This is not information we're sitting on. Her approach is narcissistic, ego-driven, and defensive. What do you do when something hasn't risen to the level of a fireable offense, at least according to preliminary conversations with HR, but you also don't see any real probability for change? I'm the kind of person who wants to have done everything I can, tried everything that's within my control. But when it comes to the workplace, so much of what's quote-unquote in your control hinges on having to rely on other people and systems, like supervisors, HR, etc., that fail to show up for us time and time again. How can I trust the process when I don't trust the people behind the process? Do we just give up and accept her treatment? Uh, Jane, is this relationship over? Um, I know that this person asked for advice that isn't just get a new job, (laughs) but... I, and, and I hear that. I do. Yeah. But I really do think that, um, and this person said, like, yes, this is a, worth exploring, and they are exploring it. I understand that. But it also, like, this is the kind of problem that turns your work into your life. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that you probably go to sleep thinking about and wake up thinking about. Dream about. Like, have stress dreams about. It's not 
worth it. No. Like, especially if it's a supervisor. Like, I have had a terrible, I've had bad supervisors in the past. Um, one supervisor in, in particular, um, as far as I know, she's like, she got terminated. Not like asked to leave, she got terminated, like walked out of the building like three weeks after I quit. Which, what, yeah, I, you know, I love justice. I kind of like to imagine that it was like in Cruel Intentions, where the father opens the cross and there's cocaine in it. Like, no, that's not what happened, but I like imagining that it all happened in slow motion. But um, I think that, like, you have to go. I understand also that this sounds like this person is also trying to protect their colleagues. Yeah. And I understand that that's one of the things about workspace is that often you kind of develop this, like, it's us against the world feeling. Yeah. But at the same point, like, this person's job is not actually to fix the supervisor or do everything. They, they've done everything that's in their control. Yep. And yes, you and if you can't rely on supervisors or HR, then don't trust the process. Leave the process. Hit the bricks. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, this person said they are working in higher education student affairs. They are not getting paid enough per hour to justify how much time they are probably allocating to this problem, right? Emotional weight, too. It's just not enough. Like, the job is not good enough to justify this in any way. It'd be one thing if she was like, oh, my gosh, I just love the work that we're doing. Doesn't talk at all about how much she loves the work that she's doing. Maybe she does. But, like, the real problem here, the thing that has overtaken her life is this relationship with her supervisor. Her approach is narcissistic, ego-driven, and defensive. I mean, that is an indictment right there. Mm. But then she also says, you know, very clearly, I'm the kind of person who wants to have done everything that I can, tried everything that's under my control. Yeah, there's just, like, there's a point where you have done all those things. There are no more avenues to take. And the one thing that you have under your control, your source of power now, is quitting. It's just not, it's not worth it. It's just, you gotta, no, no, you gotta quit. That is your power here. If you have enough people, especially because I think that enough people quitting indicates the problem. Right. Like that is in itself an indictment. People, it does not look good when a lot of people quit a job. It yep. just doesn't. Uh, I do think though, okay, we have to acknowledge sometimes people are really in job lock, right? Because of health insurance, because of... You know, they're in a location where they can't find any other work in their field. So what would you do if this person cannot quit? Is there anything that she can do in the name of self-preservation? I think work as hard as you can to create boundaries mm -hmm. in your own life, especially because this is a situation where you will have to. I mean, honestly, I just keep thinking of that um, that moment in The Simpsons where Homer covers up the sign that says, don't forget, you'll be here forever, and makes it so it says, do it for her. <laughs> like, that's what you need to do here. Because this is like, this is not, you cannot, if the means of making the situation better are broken, you just acknowledge, like, that's not an effort. Like, you don't have to try harder. This is Sisyphean. Yeah. So do what you can to create boundaries. Right. And I do think, too, in a university, one thing that's good about a sprawling infrastructure of academia, there are oftentimes similar jobs that this person could look for within the institution if they can't quit the institution itself. So that might be an opportunity to move laterally and be out from underneath the reign of this person um, without losing the job altogether. So, but if you, if you had to give advice to this person, I think we are on the same page that like, please consider quitting, even though you don't want to, like, this is your power. Yes, exactly. 
Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Uh, you can find me at the New York Times. Uh, I host a, the podcast, The Argument. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Jane Coaston or just, I don't know, email me. If you have actual questions, jane.coaston at nytimes.com. Um, I do appreciate when people send me long argumentative emails, um, ideally without ethnic slurs. But if you think that adds something, you know, whatever you're into. <laughs> jane also tweets a lot about so many topics. Like sometimes I'm like, yes. how does, I mean, maybe this is the history major. I'm like, how does Jane yeah. know so much about Michigan football and then also celebrity and then also esoteric historical facts yep yep that's a it's a blessing and a curse but uh thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure Thanks so much to Jane Coaston for joining me today. And thank you for listening to Work Appropriate. If you've got a workplace quandary you want help figuring out, get in touch. You can find submission guidelines at workappropriate.com or you can send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. Some of the topics we want to tackle involve getting help on creating boundaries between work and everything else, figuring out our obsession with productivity, and surviving academia. If you've got a question in one of those categories, let us know. But we also want all of your questions, no matter how weird. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producers are Kendra James and Sandy Gerard. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Allison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz and special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. You can follow me on Twitter at Anne Helen or Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson. You can sign up for my newsletter at annhelen.substack.com. Meet me here next Wednesday for answers to the question, what if I am my own worst boss? <laughs>